like I'm joking, but it's actually not something I didn't say. Um, hello, everybody, <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to the Sound of Vision podcast. Um, today we are joined by the regulars, uh, James and Arthur, and I am Jay, and today we will be talking about um, two films, two of the in my opinion. Two films? Yeah. Two. That's never been done before, Jay. Not not here. We're, we're bending the rules um, to talk about two of the greatest films ever made, in my opinion, um, both by Joanna Hogg, both telling the same story, basically. It, it's The Souvenir and The Souvenir Part 2. Yeah. Um, yeah. How are you both? I don't think I've ever asked that. I'm good. I'm uh, panicking a bit because I think I realise none of us looked up any film news before this episode. Oh, come on, James. I'm the host. I have been prepared. Oh, thank God, because I'm literally looking for news right now. Well, um, I can open it up with the biggest news that we've ever had on this podcast, to me at least. Um, David Lynch has been cast in Steven Spielberg's next film in a closely guarded role but that just makes Does that mean he's going to be a closeted character i i don't know oh, uh, they mean closely guarded as in they're all oh, right i thought they meant like a character who is um you know mischievously sort of um um i don't know secretive no i i just don't think they want to say who he's playing well, you reckon that maybe he's a prison inmate? That's why it's closely guarded. That would be that would be good if he's just you a know? dark, weird. Well, if it's just thing. David Lynch, like it's your regular, yeah. It's like it's like your regular, like just you know modern Spielberg sappy bullshit, and then out of nowhere, regular David Lynch comes out and like starts transcendental meditating, and suddenly Agent Cooper's there, you know. Um, and all of that, um, that'd be good. Oh, I don't um, know if Spielberg would start doing crossovers, but you know, I look forward to what that if, film. What if it's a Steven Spielberg remake of Twin Peaks? Don't you want to see that, Jay? Just no. Twin Peaks with like snippy lines here and there, and you have just like John Williams music playing, you know, pressing in the room. Yeah, you know, whimsy and love and everything's perfect. Okay, it's um no it's the fablemans which is about steven spielberg's life he's reached that point in his career where he's making his own biopic jesus christ oh. one thing when writers yeah. do it but like there's an added level when directors do it yeah there, there are rumors that, that david lynch is playing john ford i don't know how to really yeah. i think but yeah. why would Sorry, why would oh John Ford would be in a film about Steven Spielberg growing up because yes. watching the films and when they're they're not going to show the films verbatim if that makes sense. Yeah, so that's the wrong I guess word. So. Um, they'll do that thing where they recreate the film and then you know make it look like the old film. Have you have you found yeah. who who John Ford is yet, James? I can see you uh, doing a bit of. Googling. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he worked on Birth of a Nation. Coach. 
I'm glad I don't know who he was. Yeah, I, I don't. He did what? I don't imagine. Well, I'm glad for the nation. I'm glad I didn't know who he was. I'm glad I didn't know who your guy's hero was. Your spiritual king, John Ford. What? He's he's no spiritual king. He will be played by a spiritual king, maybe. Right. But um, yeah. But the question is, that. did John Ford sign the petition? <laughs> because if he did, this means David Lynch will be the first person ever to have signed the petition twice. Well, <laughs> petition this, petition that. <laughs> Broken J. In other news, the, um, oh, wait. On the note, well, the, 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 please don't what? say anything more about the petition. No, I'm not. No, no, no. I'm just thinking it's Spielberg. Honest God, I think I can predict if John Ford is in it, one of the scenes it's going to be. Like, do you genuinely think there's going to be a scene where either in a dream or at the end of the film, it's John Ford's ghost, or at some point in the film, John Ford and Steven Spielberg meet, and he's like, you know, kid. You're a good director too, with like John Williams' sappy music play. Something like that. I'm, I'm hoping that he's not playing John Ford. I hope he's playing because I'm. I, I think Steven Spielberg grew up religious. I think he still is. I'd like him to play God or the voice of God. Right. Because how incredible would that be? Yeah. Yeah. What if, I don't know. What if Steven stunning. Spielberg? gets to live the dream of many a film fanboys, and um, David Lynch plays his daddy. Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) In other news, um, there was the teaser trailer for the new film by Alex Garland. Uh, Men. It's was that the Super Bowl? I don't know. Do you think we're too indie to talk about the Super Bowl? I'm not for talking about it. <laughs> well, I've only I don't know anything about it. I started talking about it. Um, I don't know anything about the Super Bowl. I know it's the Rams. You know, they, they the release all the trailers. They, they um, do all the trailers. They, they... <laughs> oh, oh, well, I know like that's Doctor Strange 2, Multiverse of Madness, and Jurassic Park, Jurassic World 3, um, Jurassic World of Madness. Oh, okay. Jay, you upset as, as me to see that Laura Dern's going to be in like a Jurassic World film? Um, no, it genuinely was already in there, wasn't she? Yeah, but the original ones are good. Like, okay, like, I mean, it's kind of funny because we're making fun of Spielberg, but his early films, they're pretty fucking great. I can't stand the world films. They're just so bad. Yeah, and but then there's so uh, The Lost World. And, um, talented actor. You ever see Jurassic what, Park 3? Oh, boy. Mm, that's not too great, but I mean, two's all right. I once watched, I watched one, two, and three in one sitting once, and then I, shockingly, I had dreams where dinosaurs attacked me. It's true, it happens so much in those films. Do you films, think you if I watch project it. Lord, loads of Gordon Cole um, on YouTube, do you think then he'll attack me? Who's Gordon Cole? Do you want wow. Gordon Cole to attack you? No. Do you want Tilda Swinton to attack you? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Why do you think we're talking about two films today? Oh, yeah. doesn't want yeah. Thomas Wayne to attack them. I... <laughs> Let's... <laughs> Um, I forget what we were talking. See, I just I can't remember anything. The, the souvenir part two. Let's let's get onto that. Let's get onto. No, the- you were going to talk about Alex Garland's film. Uh, Alex Garland's uh, new film, Men. The trailer looks pretty good. I haven't seen oh, the trailer. Yeah, yeah. Just from the name, I kind of want to see it. That's the one. I just about like the um the man, the men, the men. <laughs> It would be funny if that's the name. Jesse Buckley. Who? Jesse Buck no, yeah. Oh, what's it? Rory Kinnear. Trailer, but I can't I can't remember anything about it. That she just goes, oh and and then that just happens throughout the whole of the trailer. Oh really? I've got to watch yeah. it again Oh, did you see uh, the Jordan Peele film? Yes. Well. yes. Nope. 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 No. So you haven't seen it. Jay, we got it. You haven't seen it. Um, yeah, there, there's been quite a few trailers out. I haven't seen the Doctor Strange one. I probably won't. Um, I mean, um, Sam... What's his name? Sam Raimi's directing it. I don't really like Sam Raimi. Really? Yeah. But like, he made the films and like a suit string budget man you know like nothing stopped him like he's so indie you know i really like him but i don't think marvel really allows a director's style that's the kind of sad thing about marvel like no matter who you hear at least for me no matter who you hear is involved with it in it i'm sort of like well nothing that makes them good's going to appear in the film you know mm. it's a paycheck but besides like maybe taika watiti but even then his marvel films are his worst films Arthur, are you currently watching the trailer for Men? I I skimmed it, and then I start, and then I looked up Men, and when you look up Men, it comes up with loads of like weird stuff. What Men? Yeah, like when Men mean? beat what women in sports, when men fight back, when men don't simp for women. It just made me feel so sick about where culture is today online. Oh, yeah. yeah. You see that new Thoreau documentary? No. He interviews, like... Through. Yeah, for Louis Thoreau. He interviews a lot of these internet people, and it's literally like there's clips of them doing Z-Kyles and just saying, you know, basically the Jewish conspiracy theory and just, like, all the most horrible stuff, and then they're like, it was ironic. We're tired of political correctness not allowing us to make jokes, and that's why we did it. It's um, a classic kind of Louis Thoreau in the sense of, like, you know, he's able to get these people to so casually just reveal stuff about them, and then you're just sort of there, like, oh my god, like, what the fuck, you know? Um, but then it's one of those, like, I don't know, does he give those people more attention just by doing these documentaries, you know? It's a weird, that, that there's a, we should do an episode on documentaries and how, um, the ethics of, of the camera, I guess, that would be an interesting one. There's a yeah. lot to talk about there. Yeah. Yeah. There's... Anyway. The Man, souvenir. The souvenir. No, please don't. Please do part not. One or part two. Let's. I. I think. Well, we originally planned to start with part one, um, 
and then talk about part two but we've both we've all seen both so um i think we can talk about it pretty freely but there is one Ooh. very logical place to start and that is uh part one so what did you guys think of the souvenir part one Um, Isn't it Star Wars? Uh, yeah, James, you go first. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm doing that to um oh god, I'm really I'm really disappointing Jay in today's episode. I didn't know who those two people were. And I don't like an art film about drugs and depression, which, as we all know, to a film student is a crime. It's just unforgivable. Um but I really liked it, honestly, and it's kind of the hard thing of, like, it does... I mean, first of all, we were watching it all at your house, so admittedly maybe I was more focused on social than um, soaking in the film. Um, I'd, I'd agree with a bit that. of context. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we all, there we all were, cuddled up on the couch, <laughs> watching The Souvenir, part yeah. one, having a small time. And then Arthur left, and Jay said, let's hide under the sofa. And before I knew what happened, I was crawling under a sofa with not much room and crawling down as Jay we was. We weren't under it. That's, exa that's exaggerating. I, I never told you to get under the sofa. Just right behind, behind it. Just behind it. All right. Well, that's not how I remember it. I went out just, you know, to take a toilet break. I came back and I thought, oh, that's strange. Was it all just a dream? <laughs> And then me and Jay after all. Cage. It's my imagination that active. And, you and then, you know, I thought, no. Well, my first instinct was look behind the door, but they weren't there. And then it turned out that they were underneath the sofa, but they didn't make any effort to go, boo. So I just started hearing... <laughs> I was figures. so fucking confused. What was your thought and process behind this? I just thought <laughs> it might be funny if Arthur walked back into the room um and we weren't there and then i couldn't keep it together because i found the idea so funny it was um, pretty funny that... <laughs> i kind of got stuck i kind of got stuck there when i was trying to get out which was yeah. very painful it was um, funny and there were funny moments just yeah, about it jay it's so it was funny all over the place i mean what if arthur was like a schizophrenic and he was like oh god not again you know and it broke him <laughs> And broke that you know thin shell of like sanity left that was tethering <laughs> thus to this world. The best jokes are always the most dangerous ones. Yeah, <laughs> tell that to Jimmy. I'm Carter. too real for you. I oh, what would your Netflix special be called? Um, and it can't be called Triggered. Why? Why would it be called Triggered? Because every Netflix special is called that. Oh, it'd be called Arthur Frost. He didn't like the souvenir. Part one, and now he'll tell you why. And this is it. Yeah. What's the deal yeah. with the souvenir? I thought it was pronounced souvenir. There's too many letters. I mean, hey, you've got a film about a heroin addict, and there's not that much more to it. I mean, hey, what's the big deal? I want to know. Um, I. I'll tell you, what, uh, which is a hard thing to do because it just 
it just did it for me that yeah that's articulate it is a film that i saw for the first time not ages ago i think i watched it in november of 2021 and i after it had finished i just thought to myself if i ever end up making a film that i'm really proud of that is probably what it's going to look like i think the craft that goes into it is phenomenal and the way that the story even if the story's not much even if it is just about an emotion and how that fluctuates between good and bad the way that that is conveyed is it just works for me and really speaks to me as a film viewer and as a amateur filmmaker that's a bit more articulate there we I, do go. Think, I do think it's quite a lovely film i love a lot of the shots of nature i think the acting is honestly fucking superb like it genuinely feels like to a level i don't see many films like authentic maybe less than the second one because there's more you know heroin induced howling slash mirror breaking scenes than i've had in my day-to-day -day life uh, you know um i don't need heroin to howl you know <laughs> anyway it's a it's a the acting is superb but there is such a naturalism to it like on such a level like it it is so all the actors are going for such a level of like naturalism in terms of the pauses and the kind of cadence and all of that and it's it's so close and it's and you fit like this is you would think they're flying too close to the sun because we just we're just kind of used to knowing like we've got to the point where something will feel real in the sense we've seen in films so much that it doesn't really have to be realistic for it to feel real and like the closer something does get to real the more we're able to notice the ways it isn't so I really thought at least one of the actors would have like flown too close to the sun and my immersion would have been broken, but it never was. And, you know, I guess when I first left the film, I didn't think it was that great of a performance but, uh, because the film doesn't really lend itself to any like Oscar moments. And by that, I mean a white man screaming and like method acting and stuff. Yeah, you know, there, there like is a moment of a white man screaming. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But it's not, you know what I mean? Like, and, and there's blood on his shirt. Oh yeah, and amazingly, he's such a great actor. After that, he walked right up to every actor and splashed some blood of his blood on his face uh, to keep it real. You know what? What an honor. Um, anyway, but like, you know what I mean? I do think it truly. Yeah, really, it, it's it's good. It's Sounds good. like you like the film, James. I thought you were nice. Like some of it, I will admit, maybe some of it didn't wow me. Sometimes I could get a bit bored. Right back at you too. <laughs> That was to Arthur. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. No, you're on my side. No, stay out of this, James. Between me and Jay. <laughs> anyway. Um... Don't, get, don't get involved. You can't handle it. You can't handle the you can't handle the heat. <laughs> anyway, um, I think maybe one thing is the second one, I know we're trying to just look at them, but I think you can't really look at the two about looking them into relation to each other. No, of course. I think the second one has more cap. The first one is about kind of her being isolated by her boyfriend. 
And, you know, it's not a criticism, it is, but for me personally, why it didn't necessarily resonate as much for me. Maybe there wasn't more characters and there was less I could relate to. And to me, I honestly found this one of the more depressed. I think that's the thing I mentioned after seeing this. Like, see, I find films like this so much more depressing than like the extreme, like, like everything's crap. And just this sort of film is about someone's life sort of just not going anywhere, just feeling gently disconnected. Because I can't quite relate to it in that way, but I can relate. I regret saying it, but I can relate to feeling that isolated, you know, and just that kind of broken, uh, you know, because I'm built different. But, um, but like, you know, I can relate to that, but maybe this feels less, and that feels more powerful, like kind of that lack of humanity, or maybe like not this necessary constant antagonism, but just this general lostness, and it's just the relationships you just have not really meaning anything, you know what I mean? Or, or so maybe she does, it does seem clear that she cares a lot for her boyfriend, but there isn't like, it's an unhealthy relationship, you know? And maybe to me, when I watch this film, I maybe thought it's just a bit of watching a girl have a miserable shit life. But what got me is, spoilers for the film, um, the film of it does end with her boyfriend, you know, her drug-addicted boyfriend who's sort of gaslighting her all the time and, kind of, you know, dying. And she is broken up by that death. And there's just a scene where basically, because of that, you know, mother is spending the night with her and the mother is crying you know and to me like i completely read this like she doesn't she doesn't know this person not to cry for him she's crying for her daughter you know and that got me and i guess after that i thought well there's the heart to the film there's the humanity to the film like especially in the second one i just thought the relationship between her, her and her mother was so fucking beautiful like without again without being overstate i i can't believe how like this film feels so authentic, which maybe means it doesn't feel grand in the way some films want to be, but it doesn't feel, and it, it doesn't feel pretentious, but it doesn't necessarily feel profound. But I mean that in the best way possible, that it just feels real. It feels genuine. And, you know, maybe... It's a good uh, mix, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah. Not pretentious. Second, I think... Profound, not pretentious. I prefer the first... I think I might like the first one second time round, because I, I see that humanity to it now. Um... It's such know, a human really film made with such human techniques. Um, yeah. like, Do you want to talk about how the acting works? Sorry, I didn't know if you were going to I was just going to say, I, I think it, it works. A lot of it works because, obviously, I think a lot of people are aware that Anna Swinton Byrne, who plays Julie, who is Joanna Hogg's basically um, representative in the story, the story is based on Joanna Hogg's early life. Um, Anna Swinton Byrne, who plays her, Julie, is Tilda Swinton's daughter, and I think you wouldn't have gotten that realism. If, or you Maybe you would have gotten something else, but you certainly wouldn't have gotten what you got in this film if somebody else was playing the daughter, but also because this was her first proper film role she had i think that's crazy yeah she had appeared in one other film again playing uh, a young version of Tilda swinton's character i think that might have been a, 10 years ago um I, and that's something that joanna hogg likes to do she likes to work with non-professional actors to get quite realistic performances out of her and i think there were quite a few actors in this who either hadn't had a proper role before or um, hadn't acted before. Um, 
Well, she got very like um first of all, you know how she said she likes to get non-actors. My cynical side was so tempted to do my usual, oh yeah, so deep indie joke. But like with her, it's I don't know, like it's one of those few films where you just every tech, even though I maybe don't love every moment. There never feels a technique that's used for any other reason than to tell the story. Mm. Have I maybe said this before? That maybe feel like sometimes people are so obsessed with having good technicals, so they're not interested just revealing the emotion or telling the story. You know, um, I mean, yeah, um, it's interesting. Also, like, yeah, some of the actors she gets because even like some of the actors she get quite unconventional choices, like Rich Dayawadi. Yeah, he's you know nothing against him, but he's a very typical same character performance. Yeah. And he's much more comedy and more like low budget sitcoms. It's phenomenal how great he was, and even in just the one scene, the first one, the few scenes in the second one, like he plays a bit of a one note character in the sense, but he plays it so well. I don't do heroin; it's too mainstream. That uh, that tickled us as we sat on that sofa that day. Uh... And <laughs> All I did, right uh... to each other as close as possible. <laughs> there were moments that tickled me. Yeah, such as that moment. Um, got a few like. Apart from the uh, appearances of Richard Ayoade and moments like that, it was pretty vacuous and monotonous uh, for you know a large portion of the runtime for me. And I found myself bored in a way that I haven't been for a long time watching that film. <laughs> oh no! Do you not think it might not just been the presence of me? <laughs> just no. being Jay just sucking the For the first time, I just wanted to talk over the film. That's how boring it was. Oh. <laughs> I mean, sure, it looked nice, but it didn't even look nice enough for me to just kind of look at it and think, mm, this looks nice. That's the pro- it's impressive cinematography, but it's also like, it's not like, I don't know, like Christopher Nolan, Sam Esmail. Um, sorry, sorry, Jack- are you using Christopher Nolan's cinematography as an example of, of good as i don't know it's grandiose isn't it maybe okay. no fine so i just thought that <laughs> i don't know okay. I, I guess i'll say the cinematography is like the cinematography in this sovereign is good but it's maybe not the same good like in the same ways like a sam Esmail or like a paul thomas anderson where it's just so technically vibrant and like you could almost turn the film you know turn the sound off and you'd still get something from it it's once again that thing of like it's not overstated it's trying to be natural it's trying to be about these moments of life you know and i think that's the thing i don't think and i mean this as a compliment i'm not sure if any point part of the film stands up on its own as if i mean like it's you know all the elements of this film fucking pretentious. all the elements of this films are like notes you know kind of like it only works in harmony and i think that's the thing where like if you're not liking the story this entire film's gonna fucking collapse because if you can't relate to the story you know the story's not working you're not really going to be able to relate to the characters and then the performances are going to be meaningless because if if you care about these characters it works but if you don't care about these characters jesus christ the dialogue's going to be boring you have to connect you really have to for me it moved at the pace of a um drunk snail (laughs) oh no i think it does i don't think that is just you i think that is it's a thing it It was language gamble it is a real gamble if you don't connect with Julie. Yeah. In the first. Well, um, I was with her, but after a while, I just thought that she was, I don't know, maybe frustratingly dull, you know, 
just carrying an aura of like blind innocence, naivety, and just, yeah. Uh, I think it was yeah, more attractive and, with her boyfriend. But I then, yeah, well, that's how it can be yeah. Hey, I'm as big a fan of Tom Burke as the next guy. All right, but he seemed to sort of how big of a fan stare. of Tom Burke as the next guy. Um, well, he's he's seen uh, Tom Burke in uh, the Musketeers, the BBC series, and also um, uh, the detective thing. I can't remember the name of it now. Um, Strike, yeah. And he wants to see him play Orson Welles in Mank. Um, so, is, so yeah. Is that all? Is that all that they want to see Tom Burke in? Because Mank's pretty. Bank. Well, they thought they wanted to see him in the souvenir and started, until he started going, yeah, Julie, I think actually that you're pretty. You're, you're, you're a dark horse, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. There's nothing to you, actually. Uh, I think not. I might just go out. Can I have a tenner? <laughs> well, you know, I'm working for the government, really. Um, yeah. yeah. All that hostage uh, crisis YouTube stuff. Yeah, it's pretty informative. It's quite, yeah. And we're doing it too. We're overplaying it too much. I mean, he was like, you know, he was knocked out. I mean, Dude, honestly, you know, maybe he was being realistic, but your speed you're going at, his couch would say you're being a bit too eccentric right now. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I think that's maybe the. I don't know. Maybe this is such. I, I kind of. It kind of, I know it's like not good scenes, but it almost felt relaxing in the sense of like it felt kind of so slow and mundane. And like, I like, to be fair, he had some pretty good poses, you know, just like he would be standing there like this with a cigarette, you know, like a big intellectual British boy. It looked lovely. And there were moments where I did appreciate it, but it just couldn't sustain me for the whole film. And, you know, I like moments where he's talking about, I'm a fan of Powell and Pressburger because I remember I flipped on the TV before watching it at cinema and that's the bit that was on. I thought, oh, this is cool. But the novelty wore off very quickly and I, what I was left with was just just seemed very drab and, and one-dimensional. Mm. I see your point. I can see there can be the power in that, but if you don't relate to that. I think also to me, like, you know, Jay, you said they put the gamble on if you don't like Julie, it, it falls apart and because that's yeah. all there is. I'm not sure if you quite said it. I would agree with you to a certain extent, but I would say something else to film off is, even if you like Julie, I think you also just need to like the concept of having a film that just replicates casual conversation. Yeah, <laughs> if you like, that, that's Even if you like Julie, there's so many scenes which don't necessarily... Hmm. In a lot of the ways, the film can feel kind of flat and non-extravagant, but it's definitely not utilitarian in the sense of it's using every moment for, like, maximising structure usage and kind of plot points. You know what I mean? It's in extravaganza the sense of, like, is in minimalism. If you don't yes. like minimalism and you don't like very one-dimensional... I'd also know, say like, realistic. this film um, could establish in one minute, it chooses to spend ten. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what it also means is, yeah, you really have to emotionally resonate strongly. You need to be in the right mood or you just, I would say like, my point is like, it's, yeah, it's not utilitarian. Like how do we establish this about Judy as quickly as possible? I think it more like the right has an aura of what they want to understand about Julie. And it wants to maybe explore that and however long the scene goes on for and not necessarily care about, And because I think the difference is, 
you could be utilitarian about it and be like, well, we got this about this character, this about this character, but it'd be such a different film and it wouldn't nearly as much replicate being in that stuck place because the fact that maybe the scenes do say stay longer than they need to, it does dole you out, but it doles you out in a way where you're probably more in the mindset of Julie, you know? Um, but again, like, I would just say, like, uh, this is going to the second one. I think I appreciate this element more in the second one. But there is just a scene where all the students in the second one are basically just talking about filming and all of that, you know? And, um, give me a sec. Um, and it, I just love that. I felt, I don't even know why, but just, like, it, it replicated human conversation so much. As someone who really likes to eavesdrop some conversations on buses and trains, I really appreciated that scene, you know? Um, I think we, um, I did tell you briefly on the, after we had seen part two, but um, you mentioned the script and how you loved how conversational it was and how naturalistic it was. Um, I don't know how much you know about Gianna Hogg's script writing technique or... I know you had her name on a t-shirt. I, I, I proudly wear... A, 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 a Joanna Hogg t-shirt which just has her name on it, yes um, and I should have worn it today but I hadn't um, she, write, or she writes her scripts um, very, very bare bones and doesn't give them to her actors and she gives them certain phrases, certain words to hit but just tells them you need to get from point A to point B or you just have a conversation about this and that's the dialogue it's just improvisation and exactly and that can make maybe the film draw out because it's not about it's not like in a sorry do you mind if i take over from you or please do it's you know and i think um using the obviously this is so much different than even a lot of indie or less budget but let's take like the most extreme like you know polar opposite like let's take kind of more like a mainstream blockbuster that quite does want to be utilitarian that's sort of like everything we need to establish in this scene it might be like you know other filmmakers may more think about like how does character react to this how could that be a symbol for you know this and reflecting that like, I, that's the thing if we're going to the minimalism it's a weird use of minimalism because it's not like let's just show this and that's the point it's all it's, it's interesting in film because in film it can almost be minimalist to do more if you know what I mean, because in the sense of I feel like, let's say a scene where you're meant to get the idea of characters thinking about their husband or something, maybe the shorter scene can maybe they walk in and like they say on the phone or like there's an intentional close up of um, a picture of him or something. Hmm. Uh, and then, but then they say another film that goes on for 10 minutes and the first five minutes is maybe characters just talking about cake or their new pottery or whatever. In a lot of ways, the second one feels more like the minimalism because film is about that kind of strong use of editing. Generally speaking, this is such a generalization, but you know, that strong use of editing, that kind of constant like kind of communication. It's that who are they called? Who are the people that Tarski really hated? The montage, you know, the montage cinema filmmaking, the like, you know. You're, you show two images and then it's sort of like within that, you know, you're relate, you're showing two images so the characters are meant to kind of, anyone watching is meant to be given a very strong idea of, oh, I'm meant to think that. And also through those two images, you're intentionally creating a third idea or concept through the relation of them to the audience. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. This is much more like Tarkos, Tark Tarkovsky, you know what I mean? Mm. In the sense of, um, in the sense of like, 
I don't remember really any of the edits. I'm sure there probably is one or two, but I really can't remember any close-ups in the films. It much more feels like the film just wants me to be there, almost feel like a person there. Yeah, you know, and it, it's very, like very observational from the side. It wants lines. the edits to almost, it doesn't want the edits to create a third image. It just wants the edits to kind of connect the moments of this whole space that you're feeling. And that's what feels yeah. minimum about it. It's because it's like, it's not minimalist in the sense of like what you would think, because it's like, it's not shit minimalism in the sense of like they didn't try and the film techniques, which, you know, because like minimalism could also mean shot, reverse, shot, shot, reverse, shot. And that, this yeah. is definitely. And there's definitely so much work. And I think, you know, I bet if you looked behind when the film was being made, there was so much fucking work being done, so much technicality. But like, it's minimalist. I've said this three times, but I guess I can want to get to it because I'm trying to find a way. It's minimalist in the sense of like, I feel there's like one tiny point to a scene. And then the scene can go up like 10 to 12 to 20 minutes. But it's like, that really adds, it, it shouldn't, but it adds to it more in the sense of like, if it was one minute low, it wouldn't feel like I'm learning this. It would feel like I'm being told this. It would feel like that montage cinema where this feels more like, you know, um, I know Tarkovsky isn't the only one to do and it's kind of dumb to do is because Joanna Hold is a director that shouldn't just be considered in relation to male directors, but, you know, Tarkovsky-ish style. But, you know, definitely also its own thing. I mean, no film is truly its own thing, if you really get down to it. But, you know, like, um, more unique than a lot of films I've seen. And uh, that was my dissertation, guys. I'll shut up now. What did you both think of part two then? Because we've touched upon part one. Um, and part two, from what I understand, seems to be the more appealing for Arthur, both of you. Arthur, do you remember exactly what you said when we finished it? <laughs> no, I, I think I emphasised how much I didn't like part one and then emphasised how much I liked part two by comparison. Yeah, I, I, it was so interesting. Do you mind if I repeat what you said? Because I think it, just, it was such a shock to hear. Please say it. What's that ticking? There's some sort of... I've put a bomb on this podcast. If we go under 500 points, no, 50 points per minute, it'll blow into my pen. Oh... Yeah, no, we, what did I say, James? Yeah, okay. Uh, well, live with it. Uh, wow. Um, you said something Girl like... boss be winning. Yeah, uh, you said something like, how can the same director make essentially the exact same film and yet one of it is the worst film ever and one of it is the best film made? Yeah. See, I was, I was exaggerating, of course, but it's true... I thought that the souvenir part one was uh, mind-bogglingly uh, boring and uh, just uh, really kind of depressingly um, drab experience. I have the urge to mute you, but I'm not well, going to. Because not if I mute you first. This is a free podcast. Um, and, not and if I'm I meet not. you first. We support freedom of speech on this podcast, even if it's used as disgustingly to um, insult the <laughs> Joanna. All right. All right. Now we're going to pin me. Oh, wait. Yeah. Now I'm the man talking. Only to you. So, the souvenir part two 
it's a much better film and i'll tell you why first of all you have to t- drink two pints of beer at fuego lounge in lewis <laughs> this helps okay i couldn't do that because i forgot my ids and as soon as you would have asked nonetheless this is not necessary it's just uh something to uh push you off the ground running and get your wings a flapping um and then you realize that the souvenir part two is basically making fun of what a terrible film souvenir part one was joanna hogg has realized that she'd made something so terrible That's an interesting that she theory. then goes back and makes that film in the second film and it's basically like the disaster artist for the room So, oh, sorry. Well, let me let me carry on further because sorry, it's, it doesn't end there. I'm sorry, right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm controller of the podcast. Okay. So it starts off innocuously enough. We're back in the garden. Oh, poor um, thingamajiggy died. Oh, my drug addict boyfriend. Oh, and you know it's it's nice enough. I mean, you know, I I understand that that would take a toll on you. It maybe didn't help that I knew that that was coming. Uh, but clearly, she's still reeling from that. Um. She has sex with um, Jonathan from Stranger Things. Uh, you know, already the film's getting better. Um, that was a shocking then, scene. Um, did, that, did that scene not just ruin your day? But um... it's, it's true, it wasn't the best sex, all right? But we're not dwelling on that. Um, I mean, it dwelling was on the fact that, um, you know, stuff's happening. The, the, the wheels are moving. We haven't got this uh, great big fat heroin addict sort of stifling the energy out of, out of everything. Uh, what we now have is a film uh, which is self-reflexive, all right? We have a film that is willing to look at itself, um, look at the history of the director and explore that, um, simultaneously looking at her past, but also looking at the making of the film that had just, uh, you know, the predecessor. Mm. Without villains, without, um, like, demonising her, yet nor celebrating her. Sorry, I don't. I just want to add on to that. I think that's. I mean, obviously, you can never truly be neutral. You know, we shall never um, be from a neutral standpoint. But you know, um, it felt pretty unbiased, as close as you can get, in the sense of like, you know, she was willing to look at the flaws of herself. You know, while also yeah. not, just not like piling on her, but also not like, not afraid to take a swing at her. Yeah. You know. Okay, maybe I'm a sucker for the fourth wall being broken, but to see the fourth wall be broken and uh, in such a way, uh, completely negated all my uh, misgivings about the first film. Um, And when we approached the screening of her film, this is when it really gets wild. Uh, But, you know, there's been a good sort of direction here. Uh, You know, there's levels to this, the direction of the film about her direction, you know. I mean, it just became so much more of a um, a nicer film to sort of seep in. Uh, more there were levels to it, you know. Uh, it was very. It felt so much more symbolic, um, you know. And she's she's railing against the uh, film, uh, the people on the board who won't give her the financing. But then yeah. she makes the film, and we attend the screening. And I think, oh fuck's sake, you know, watch the fucking film again that I fucking saw, and the flipping film. You know, imagine that she just makes a good part of the film and then she's showing the film I just saw. It's like, I've already seen the souvenir part one. I don't need to see it again. Well, if, if the last <laughs> one hour 40 of the souvenir part two is... The it was just the souvenir one. one. Yeah. But that's when it got trippy, man, because, you know, leading up to this, I was thinking, but wait, 
we're going to see the screening of the film, but I just saw that film. I saw it on the sofa of Jay's house just like a few hours ago. Like, what the flip, man? And then suddenly it all got spooky. Stuff was going on. Tom Burke was there. All right. Shit was going down. Okay. It got it got really good. And and then I was like, whoa, I'm totally on for this ride. Uh, and all right, she was filming us. And then she had a party. And it turned out the party was a film. Brilliant ending. Great. I was left That's wanting more. You know, it's just says cut. I mean, can we just marvel that, how fast Joanna Hogg, that's Joanna Hogg that says cut at the end. Is, can we just, like, take a moment to appreciate how amazing it is this isn't a complete pretentious piece of bullshit? Like, how <laughs> the fuck is it a film about, you know, a film about her making a film, this, you know, it's a sequel film, which is about her making the film, which is, in a way, the film we saw yesterday, which then ends with this being the film that she's making now. It's like, how the fuck did that not end up being pretentious? How did that feel? And like, I mean, I like pretentious. I can deal with a film that maybe a bit pretentious that. But how does it do a concept like that and still have such naturalistic dialogue? Like, such I think it like... deserved its pretentiousness. Huh? I think it, it earned it by being, it, it embraced its, its non-naturalistic features. And that's I... what it deserved. I think the, the closest funny thing on non-naturalism, I think really my only... Not even major, but the most like thing I sticked out of me not liking in the souvenir, that's what I'm calling it now, souvenir part one, is the one scene where it does kind of go artsy, you know, just before um, the her boyfriend, you know, smashes the mirror in house um, because of heroin, um, which he is doing because he is an addict. Heroin had a heroin. But basically, there's a scene before that where it's almost like it does like kind of archival footage of like kind of I can't even remember what it was it was like leaves or something but it was sort of like weird you know it was kind of like just weird edits to like you know these images which we didn't really know what they are and I usually like those kind of techniques honestly in that one scene even though I get the point was something very unnatural and kind of out there was meant to happen I still felt that was one time where like usually I'm up for when films will try something stylistically different but I really liked how the film kept to its style throughout it the first one and then just out of nowhere, where I think without any kind of justification narrative-wise, to me at least, it did that kind of weird edit thing. Do you know the edit I'm talking about, Jay? Um, I'm not sure I do. There's just like this weird edit just before the scene. Before It's like showing leaves close up or something, or like organisms or something. I need to look it up again, but personally, I didn't feel that was needed. Um, um, so I just like the departure from the... Um, oh, I'm talking about the first one. Yeah, but I like, no, I'm saying I like the departure uh, from stuff like that where, no, sorry, not stuff like that. I like the departure from the bland um, camera static uh, shots of them talking you know, that, that got me mm. bored. The second one definitely feels more alive because they're on a film set. Like, I honestly didn't, the first, it's kind of interesting how much the first one is just not about, like, film is just the background and then how much the second yeah. one is. Film is the foreground in so many ways of that film. And obviously it's not all the film is about, but like, I mean, I think, I'm not sure if this is mentioned. I think, I mean, I don't know about you, Arthur, but I think I'm one of the few people on the podcast who isn't going on to do film, you know? Um, mm. So I don't love film necessarily in the same way that you do, Jay. But yeah. like, this is the kind of thing where it's like, this is the kind of thing where I watch it and it's so beautiful and it shows you why other people love it so much that for a second, 
like an idiot, I'm like, oh, wow, maybe I could be a director. And I'm like, no, no, that's a dumb idea. But you know what I mean? It, like, it felt so alive and it felt so nice. There, there was more characters, so there was more to attach to. Yeah. I think there's a point, though, that I think when she was with her boyfriend, you know, her, her life was, you know, he was basically forcing her to live her life of just kind of nothingness. And so maybe getting to see the film in the second one, just the beauty of film, and even in its hardships and its challenges, it shows how... I don't necessarily want to talk for Joanna Hogg's experiences over her, but at the same time, this is semi-fiction or only semi-real. So I think, you know, I do have some freedom to interpret the characters here um, but without trying to talk over experiences. I think in a way, maybe the second one shows how, even though he didn't deserve to die, maybe in some ways it's a good thing that their relationship ended, you know, yeah. in the sense that like, she was able to have a life and stuff like that. And, you know, and there's just more characters to it and, uh, I mean, you know, talking about just the film, like, obviously, I think you can see in the film, the film is sort of a way for her to connect to people, you know, and like, I just I love, I love that scene, which everything's been going terrible for a while, you know, like kind of the DP's had a bit enough of her, you know, the main actor isn't kind of that interested. She just doesn't feel like I'm getting work and she's just so like, just completely almost out of it. And then she has to film the editor and the editor's like, all right, this is nice. This is nice. And she's like, oh, but it's just bought. And it's like, hey, well, you know, you've got more time to edit. And look, you always have an idea of what it is. And then you kind of work around it. And then we find some. And I just found that scene such a nice film. Because I've seen, because A, I think it's about kind of, it made me think about film in a way that maybe I don't always think about. Just that kind of, you know, how much the editor plays a part and just that kind of improvisation element of it. But then it also just symbolizes a moment of respite. You know, like, I do kind of like, films that can just like pile all this stuff on a character and then you can just have that moment of respite you know because those make those scenes more valuable also this is going back to kind of all the people in the film you know the actor who then basically plays her boyfriend who's just one thing i love about he walks and he has like a like a head like this he has like something around his head oh right yeah, yeah the one who plays he has like a vote he has like a is it a bow tie? You know, a bow tie around his head, not bow tie, tie, you know? Yeah. Sort of thing around his head. And it never explained. And the idea, I, you know, it's never explained. He just walks in his eyes like, hi, and then throughout the entire film, he's wearing that. Um, I like Wait, what? Who's this? The one who played, the in the, the film, in the, the one film. Playing Anthony. Anthony. The one who's playing Anthony in oh, the second. Tom Burke? No, 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 no the no, one no, who's no. playing Tom Burke's character the film in the film. film. I do yeah, hope. Um, um, <laughs> thing of what Jonathan from Stranger Things? No, no. Don't worry. You know the film, the student film she's making in the second one. Yeah. The guy she hires to play essentially. Ooh, her. That reminds me. I liked it when those two actors criticised the dialogue. Yeah, they had that piece of dialogue between the actors in there. It's really funny because they say to each other. Do you get this? Do you, do you understand what we're saying here? Do you understand our characters? They just say no. And I love the way that she's acknowledging that, I don't know, there's so many layers, there's so many levels to it, but the fact that she's... She's not conventional. She's, she's acknowledging yeah. that. It's, it's very unconventional. Too indie. She's um, The fact that she's sort of drawing into doubt that whole experience that she had. Mm. Um... And she's, yeah, so she's saying, look, what happened to me was unrealistic, but at the same time, I'm telling you to, uh, it to you as though this is exactly how it happened. Yeah. Because you saw it happen, but what you saw was an acted version of it. 
So are you to believe that this is all real? Are you to believe that I'm making a film that's true to me making a film? Um, you know, it's 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 great, and and it's you know almost surface level how um, deep it is. So that's just doesn't really make sense, but it's it's just so simple that. I know, hear your point. Yeah. Sometimes a film is good, not necessarily because you have to really analyse to get it, but it does something quite well, but it's quite present. But obviously, you know, a lot of hard work meant to do that. Mm. Or am I just running? With yeah, I, I I get what you mean. I remember there's a scene where once again the person who's playing the um you know playing within the film within the film her boyfriend he's sort of like saying you know like and once again it's such natural dialogue because he's just like well you know not I understand he's just like oh well, I understand me but it you know it feels like you're more writing your idealized version of him like I don't really know who he is I feel like I'm playing an idea of a person not a person yeah. and then there's a the scene where the um, woman she hired to play her, like she basically overhears them being like, you know, like, um, I don't know, like I liked her first, you know, she seems nice and she she's nice and she makes good films, but I, I just don't think she knows what she's doing and she's lazy. Yeah, you know, that's that. funny, isn't it? She doesn't know what yeah. she's doing. <laughs> It's like, yeah, she probably didn't know what she's doing. She's making this film about making her film. She doesn't know what she's doing, but she's trying to know what she's doing. And then... Yeah. It's only layers of her not having a clue. I like it that um I like that scene because it's like I think we talked about Jen. It's sort of like I felt so sorry for her and we were both like, yeah. But at the same time, they're fucking right. So oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like, I honestly don't completely blame them. And it also it feels authentic when they haven't there's a scene they're having the argument that they have. And it feels quite authentic because some of them some of them are trying to cool them down. They're not like full on like movie screaming. But there is that kind of raising of the boss, like, look, you keep on doing this, and you know what I mean? And it, it feels really real, and you do feel sorry for her, but at the same time, I do feel a bit sorry for the DP, because, you know, it must be, there's like that scene where she's like, well, filming this, this is about 8, 11, in the, you know, somewhere between 9, 10, the more it's like, hug on the background today, and then she's like, okay, well, I guess we'll work, with, you know, like, and, you know, just the last minute, like, oh, we'll change this, we'll change this, and you can just mm. see. And they're just like, I think we've all been that scene where she's like, sorry, sorry. We've all been in that experience where we yeah. up and all we can do is constantly say sorry. And you fucking know it doesn't make a difference to them. At this point, you know, there's like quite a lot of, you know, and what's interesting is I didn't necessarily see Arthur sees the, tell me if I'm wrong, Arthur, but it seems that you almost see the film, the second one at least, quite comedic, maybe almost satirical mm. in some sense. And I, Still didn't get that. I, I felt more not satirical, alive. but there's a humour that's not laugh out loud. I don't think. Yeah, but like when you retalk about, it, you can kind of laugh about because I guess retalk about this scene, just the way she's constantly like, "Sorry, sorry" to the DP after like last minute. She's like, "What if we do this?" There is yeah. kind of a humour to it, which I didn't realise. I guess I, I love films like that where there is such a naturalism, to, or it just gets like so right. You can feel a completely a different emotion watching the set a scene, same scene a second time. You know. It's so um, self-deprecating, and I love how... Very like, Yes, yes, I like how it can look back on itself and present things like that. It, Joanna Hogg presents the character that represents her as somebody who isn't doing the perfect job and certainly isn't treating her cast and crew with the, I guess... Oh, respect that they deserve I, I guess so yeah um, she and I think she doesn't hesitate to 
depicts her struggling with that and trying to direct and maybe not doing the greatest job. Well, no, she's not doing the greatest job that she could do, but she's finding her feet. But it's that reflection on a time in her life where she was growing and wasn't the greatest as like she says, or like Julie says in the first part, um, as a form of therapy, it seems, because the film within a film that we see at the end, to me, is, is very clearly saying, hey, look, this is therapy. It's taking that idea from the first one, and when Julie picks up the camera and starts filming Anthony, and he, it's almost like he's been shot, not by bullets, but or no, by bullets, but, but it's by, by a film. He's been yeah. shot on camera, and that's the power that Julie has over Anthony, is to recreate this and to make this her own thing that she controls instead of being controlled by him or the thought of mm. him, and to remake that as Joanna, to remake the souvenir that is her therapy looking back on this time in her life and accepting it and seeing how it shaped her so it's very meta and cool yeah you put there it much better than i ever could yeah thank you yeah. the nail on the head with the hand yeah. thank you i know it's a bit um i guess this is something funny about when we talk about all this relevant stuff and in so many ways the film just comes together so well but there's a character which there's a fair bit of time release. There's one scene that's a fair bit lengthy that's dedicated to. And I'm just like, how do I naturally trans how do I naturally transition to this motherfucker? So I'm just gonna say, do you want to talk about the Richard Hayward scenes in the second one? Yeah. He feels absolutely do, do you think me, he's shoehorned in? Is that what you're saying? That he's no, no, I don't feel he's shoehorned in. But he, I don't know. I more just mean I it almost feels natural how um disconnected she is to his life because sometimes you're just in those moments you know what I mean and I think that's what there is and I think what well, do you think here's the thing I can't tell if she, I know it seems to me for the main part she just wants to relate experience she has but do you think there's any messages she's trying to spread because I think in some ways some of it could be read on certain criticisms of films an example like she made a good film she just has a different style and like the film you know the film the um, teachers are basically completely criticising her for not taking it into the traditional format. And do you think there's maybe a criticism there about film schools being maybe a bit inadequate? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And again, Rich Dayawadi seems sort of like that auteur type, you know, he's doing those interviews. And like, he's literally losing it. He's like shouting at the editor when he's like, this is garbage. You're making me have a tantrum. You know what I mean? It just walks what out. What does he like, say? But it's You're not making... real. It's not real. Or what does yeah. he say? Say Everybody. something real. Say something. Yeah. Say so something specific. Yeah. You can't just let's go. Oh, yeah. Say something specific. Specific. Fuck. Say something and specific. Then he, he also Hawaii. Then, um, alludes. I think he, do you Martin think he's meant to be Scorsese. criticism of certain directors? Sorry to interrupt. He, he alludes to Martin Scorsese almost as if he's the god of cinema. Um, and I, I remember upon watching it again that Martin Scorsese is the executive producer for the film. And I thought, hey... Wait, did he, did he actually name drop Scorsese? Yeah. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And I thought, well, 
<laughs> I don't think Scorsese had anything to well, you know, they're allowed to say that. He's a better than any Scorsese film, without a doubt. It was just wow. strange. I don't think it's better than Taxi Driver, to be honest. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's two is probably. I don't know. Um, but yeah, um, he's. I do just love those scenes because he is just such a cunt, and I don't think the film's trying to hide that. But I'm not sure if necessarily. Well, I think there might be an intent to have someone like that to make a point. I also don't think this film's obsessed with like making sure you know that it kind of more wants to represent that and it wants to make a point out of that. And I don't think it glamorizes behavior, but he also just feels like a character that exists in the world with the rest of them. His but final scene is showing. His final scene is showing. Um, Wait, he catches her in the alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when he catches her in the alley. Um, <laughs> He's shown he's got a bit more of a sensitive side there, hasn't he? Yeah. Even then, I don't think so, because I think he's still being a bit of a... There's a hint of it, but also he's like, oh, I'm back with my wife. I finally dragged her down, or I tied her down. Oh, yeah. To me, that... Uh, it's, 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 it's called dark humor, isn't it? But, um, but to me, it's like, it's sort of like in the same... It's When someone makes a joke about that, about, I don't know, It's it's a, it seems like there's a bit of truth to it, you know? Yeah, it's it's awful. Oh, well, a piece yeah. of shit films appeared on Arthur's screen. What? It's, Where? It's awful. It, it's a it's a bad thing to say, but yeah, I think he does show a bit more sensitivity, and I think a lot of that is because his power has been taken away. He doesn't have control over the edit anymore, and he's. I think he's showing himself more honestly. Yeah, it's really, that was it's his real really wife, crazy. by the way. Huh? That's his real wife. Ah. Rich Day Wadi. Yeah, was in there, sort of sitting down and like smoking. scoffing at what he was saying, his tantrum. There's yeah. an interesting Lydia thing. Oh, interesting, yeah. Um, sorry, I am not trying to. That's a good point. Um, there's something I kind of said that I, I'm not sure, but I think I mentioned it to you, Jay, that I think that Day Wadi, his drive is almost meant to be like a. Yeah, that's one's all right. Um, meant to almost be like a reflection of um, her, the main character and her boyfriend's relationship and where it could have gone. Because, mm. you know, I think in a way, Julie knew that he was bad, but like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe she would have eventually, but the trajectory of the film, it didn't feel like she was going to be able to leave him anytime soon. You know, she wasn't able to emotionally do that. And I think what's interesting is the first scene with them. She's like, oh no, you know, after the part, well, after they have dinner with Richard A. Wiley's character and his uh, wife, they're talking. She's like, yeah, oh, he, I like him. It's like, you can, no, he's a cunt. No, I like him. Oh, you can be honest if he's a cunt. It's like, oh, okay. I like his wife. And his wife almost kind of does nothing in that scene. So to me, that almost feels like the only way she could really like, get a sense of liking his wife is like there's almost a kinship there. Or like she gets, you know, she sees something in her that there's some sort of connection. I think the difference. And I do think that that final scene kind of reflects it, because I also think that final scene where she's talking, when she's talking to him, that's after her film premiere, right? Or is it just before? Uh, just I think before. it's before, isn't it? Yeah. I guess it's one of the final scenes where we see Julie not within the film, within the film, at least kind of, it's one of the final scenes where there's really a, before the final climax kind of of shown that film. It's sort of like one of the last scenes of her talking about him you know what i mean thinking about him in that sense because the final scene is her filmmaking is her making a film about her life after that or making the scene of her life after that 
and then seeing and it's sort of like it is almost like he's saying like i'm going that way she says i'm going that way yeah. to me almost read it like you know he's probably on some drug he's probably going to spend the rest of the day going there and she's like no i'm going to go home or i'm going to work on my film he's like smart decision and like there is a bit of charm to him there there is almost a bit of charm but even with any kind of nice sentence there's something eluding something there or there is still showing himself and then of course she says do you think he actually worked for the government he says he was a heroin addict you know i think that's a i think that scene is quite almost a good kind of like her you know final kind of memoriam of him and her relationship with him you know there's a lot of reflection between you know because she in a way was able to escape him I'm not sure if that's a mean way to phrase it because he did die which is horrible but admittedly he did in many ways seem abusive yeah. um well he talks about I was able to tie her down she stuck with me and stuff and then there's also you know kind of like you know, she's been able to improve beyond that. Though so she's making her films, he's continued to be kind of destroying every relationship in his life and has kind of lost that. And, you know, he's clearly just going out and doing drugs. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, if when she... I think that's the interest about this film. I don't think this film has much of a, like, other films, like, one-on-one analogy. It's more this general feel. And I'm not decrying either style. You know, either works, either it's good, but, like... This maybe feels like, even when I'm saying that, I'm not sure if Joanna Hogg intended that, but it, I guess it doesn't matter because it's just she's writing very honestly and maybe you'll see some of that how you can. I, I do want to, if you have any points to say, but I did remind me, I do have two questions I want to ask about the film and I think they're quite interesting ones and I'd love to hear your opinion. Jay's particularly love these films so much, but oh, um, any other points from you two? Before, before you fire these uh, questions yeah yeah before I just hit you with uh, truth logic and questions you're going to ask us some questions yeah I just had two questions about the film which is interesting I, seeing do you have anything else you want to say about the film because I thought it was quite um, cool. I just I just want to say that it's I've never had such an experience with a film um series or you know in different parts where i did not enjoy the first part and then enjoyed the second part maybe in tv series this has happened before but it's very striking how simply becoming more self-reflexive and breaking the fourth wall more can bring life to the same source material um and that you know it's weird how just folding itself back on in itself is yeah but um please ask away well i guess this is a discussion we often have and i'm curious to hear what you think in this context can with the sovereigner part one and two can the art be separated from the artist in a film like this because generally i don't mind examining the artist in relation to the art but generally i think it can you know you can separate art from artists this one seems like such a different context. I'm so curious. Why do we why do we always have to do can we separate the art from the art? Joanna Hogg hasn't even done anything bad. No, no. Yeah, what, uh, you do know to separate art from the artist doesn't mean about necessarily doing something bad. No, I know means... I know what you're trying to say with this, and my answer is no, this can't be separated from Joanna Hogg because I just it's... mean the sense of can we analyze the souvenir, the souvenir, uh, without no without because, knowing because anything it, about it acknowledges her 
as a filmmaker, as a part of its creation in that final scene. Or if I choose to um, view that scene as, what the fuck, they've been in a tiny prison the entire time? Then I know that you'd just be um, being very, um, what's the word? Facetious. That's it. Yeah. That's my answer. Wait, why do we need to separate the art from the artist in this? You don't have to. I just mean, I'm just curious about it. Oh, no, I don't mean separate art and the artists and they did something terrible. I mean, as in, like, you know, definitely the author would argue, like, oh, we don't need to know anything about the artist to understand this art. And generally, I would sort of agree with that with a lot of kind of caveats. But, like, this feels like a case where I'm like, can you? Do you know what I mean? Like, can you examine the Southerner in a way that will give you valuable interpretations without thinking about, you know, the person, Joanna Hogg? Because it's so self... um... Reflexive. Self, yeah, not self-reflexive as much as it is literally just, you know, self. it's very much about her up and coming as a filmmaker. I think that you would be foolish to ignore the context that is so prevalent within that film. The, the film is the context, basically. Sure, sure. And I guess just my second question for him, um, is that both of your answers? Yes. I would maybe say you could... Possibly, but it would be a stretch, and I feel you get a lot from thinking about Joanna Hogg, the person, while watching this. But I feel like maybe the story can also maybe just emotionally re- resonate because you relate to it, you know. So it can yeah. work on those levels. Yeah. But I guess you have the freedom as an audience member to do it. But in this context, it seems rebellious, being rebellious for the sake of being rebellious, to not think about Joanna Hogg in interpretations of it. You know, uh, I guess my second question is, let's say Sovereign, The Sovereigner Part 3, would you want to see it? And if so, what context would you want to see it under? Can I go first? Sure, absolutely. Okay, uh, my answer is fuck off. Um... <laughs> All right, Ridley. <laughs> I it's the story's done. Joanna Hogg was making this film not about her, but about her dealings with a toxic relationship and how that helped her and how that drew uh, drew her back. Uh, part three wouldn't be relevant in the slightest, unless of course you are a massive fan of Joanna Hogg and just want to see what she's getting up to. Um, which even though. I wouldn't mind a documentary about that. I don't need a feature film to tell me. What if she maybe feels there's something she wants? Well, I'll, I'll let Arthur go, and then I have... Then it, it wouldn't be the souvenir, because the souvenir is about that relationship. It would be, I don't know, the, the, the um, thing that I took back from Paris. So what are the guidelines, what are the outlines of this question? It is literally just... The Southerner Part Three. Would you want to see it? And if so, like, what would the context you wanted to see it around? And you know, yeah, you think it could work? And how so could you? Um, yeah, I would definitely like to see the Souvenir Part Three for a few reasons, which I'll list off. If that, you know, we've got a run of two films. One of them is not very good, and then the second one is pretty damn good. So. By logic, the third one must be a masterpiece. Um, or two could be the outlier. 
Uh, it's well, yes, this is true. Um, but I, what I would like to see is um, the souvenir part three, probably featuring Julie's encounter with radioactive waste and the Mecca Ayuadi. Yeah, <laughs> I think that'd be a good um, uh, premise. Sort of Mecca Ayuadi. Really what are you talking about? Like a Mech Richard <laughs> Ayuadi? Yeah, like you know, like a giant, like um, Transformers Power Ranger sort of. Yeah. The maker as, as he's doing his like transformers mode, mm. he also includes a massive speaker so he can explain all the films this sequence is referencing. Yeah, and I think Martin Scorsese would appear in it. Uh, there'd be a crossover with, um, and it would be like a Stan Lee uh, cameo where the only point would be like, Yes, I'm Martin Scorsese, the god of the scene where um, Joanna Hogg got interviewed by um, Philip and Holly on this morning. Uh, and then they made lots of sexual innuendos by mistake, as always seems to happen. Um, you know, there'd be a crossover with, um, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, um, what are those films called? Um, Snuff. Uh, yeah. MCU and Snuff film all in one. They they you just um, Joanna Hogg for Snuff director. Yeah, oh, some, I don't know, crossover, yeah, with, um, Amazing. Uh, so, so right, just crossovers, write. anything, just, you I'm know, just pump loads of money into it, into Tom Cruise in there, uh, uh, James A. Caster. Oh, yeah, yeah. As long as Anna Calvi, who did the fantastic music, can come back and go, just no, just no, 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 man. Instead, Don't worry just, about the plot. MCUS soundtrack, like it gets added to so much. It could be any like movie soundtrack. I'm going to write this and I'm going to send it to you, Jeff. Well, can Danny Elfman do that? Yes. Okay. But besides that idea, which obviously would be the best film ever made, I want to throw something to you, Jeff. What if like 20 years has passed and Joanna Hogg wants to make a film about the making of the souvenir Southerner part one? And I know you say it's about that relationship, but like, I don't think it seems like she would be thinking about that relationship all her life. What if it's about her reflecting on how she thought about that relationship 20 years ago, as opposed to how she feels another 20 decades after change and reflection and, you know, memories, new old memories coming back and some memories being forgotten. Do you know what I mean? When yeah, you see the fact, even if you believe be the core of the film, huh? It still wouldn't be the souvenir. Wouldn't it? Because yeah. I feel like you can use the themes of the relationship. And I, I would also, what if she made a film about the making of the souvenir, but she didn't call it the souvenir then? Then that would be the behind the scenes documentary. No, but I'm talking a fiction film. Well, if you make, I'm talking it's, like it still wouldn't be the souvenir because you've never seen a film about the making of a film other than Simba or Taxi Plasm. I think. Yeah, but okay. What's well, the next that thing about that... wraps up our episode of this podcast? <laughs> okay, I think we just about up? yeah, yeah. I think so. You can... um, fair <laughs> Thank enough. you and good evening. Think... Uh, it's been good. It has. Been I good. hope um, audience members know. That you're a dark horse. Um, it's been very nice to talk about oh, nothing, uh, my favourite films. Um, and I'm very glad you were patient enough to watch the second one after the first one, Arthur. 
and I know yeah I'm, well me too I'm glad yeah, yeah. I've enjoyed the points that you've both brought up um, next time we are looking we are hopefully Solomon will be back um, to be talking about a bit of a curveball considering today's subject matter but we are going to be looking at uh, the Matrix by the Wachowski sisters um, and that will be interesting I'm sure um yeah so i think i might be watching the godfather at the cinema but we'll see all oh, right yeah i i might be um yeah i i might be doing something <laughs> no i i i might be talking about the matrix it'll be next time we call in a bomb threat on jenny's <laughs> house and we watch as they squirm <laughs> Fucking hell. Okay. I mean, what just say squirm? We only have. Are we going to put cameras in their house? Next time, we call in a bomb threat <laughs> on Jay's house. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. I wear a hat. James wears a hat. Cut. This episode of the Sound of Vision podcast was edited by Jay Taylor Jones.